you noticed, but spring came this week. Monday was the official first day of spring. It was greeted with a couple snowfalls. I'm ready for the real spring, though. Um, I grew up in Southern California, so this is foreign to me. I lived there until I was about 13 years old, and then my family moved to Texas, another nice warm climate. And Texas, as they say, is a whole other country. Texas, in fact, the state of Texas is bigger than any country in Europe. It's twice the size of Germany. It's a big place. And here's some things about Texas. The Texas Capitol is 15 feet taller than the United States Capitol building. There's just three power grids in the whole United States. One is for the states west of the Rockies, one is for the states east of the Rockies, and the third one is for Texas. They don't, they don't share their grid with anybody. It's a whole other country down there. Things are not only bigger in Texas, they're faster. The fastest speed limit in the country is in Austin, and it's 85 miles an hour. Yeah, that's just a published speed. <laughs> you got to add the factor in there, right? But Texas is actually the currently at least the fastest growing state in the United States. Probably in part because they don't have income tax. Illinois should take note of that, I think. But it's growing so quickly that some, it's led some to say, welcome to Texas, don't move here. <laughs> they just have this influx of people. So I loved it in Texas. Living in Texas was great till I was about 22, 23 when we moved to New Mexico. But if you live in Texas, you can't help but hear country music. And I actually, I kind of liked it. Oh, there's country music fans. I liked it back then. I remember one particular song, though, back in 1990 by Garth Brooks, and it was called Unanswered Prayer. Remember that song? Garth Brooks, most country songs have a story to them. They tell a story. And so this is about a man who goes back to a hometown football game, and there he sees his old high school flame. Now he's back with his wife many years later and he sees his old high school flame. And it says, she was the one I wanted for all times and each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this one wish I wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. This was the target of all of his prayers. So he runs into this gal some years later and then the lyric continues, she wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams. And I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes too, it seemed. We tried to talk about the old days, but there was much we, wasn't much we could recall. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. And then the chorus says, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he may not answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. Now, I always remembered this song. It was a cute song. It had a catchy tune to it. But is that theologically sound? Are there, is there such a thing as unanswered prayers? In fact, it raises a lot of questions. Does God hear Everyone when they pray? Does he hear me when I pray? Does he answer my prayers? 
why or why not? And so those are, those are important questions because prayer is one of the most important and powerful spiritual disciplines for a believer. And the men were talking about spiritual disciplines. So we want to really understand some more elements of, of prayer because it's in some ways it's a bit mysterious, but God has revealed a lot to us in his word. And so as we get back into our study in 1 John, we've been off for a couple weeks uh, with the family meeting and with um, our mission conference. We're going to be back in uh, our series. The title again is Absolute Certainty. And we're looking at the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. As Dave mentioned, we're almost at the end of 1st John. And 2nd and 3rd John are just one chapter each. So we're, we're getting close to the end. And as we get into the text this morning, the message title is Absolute Certainty That Our Prayers Are Answered. And we're going to look at just two verses. 1st uh, John 5, 14 and 15. And at this rate, we'll finish the series by the end of the year. Don't worry. Two verses. We're going to go deeper this time. Three parts of the outline. We want to look at our position in verses, the first half of verse 14. And then we want to look at our petition in the second half of 14. And then finally, we want to look at God's provision in verse 15. So that'll be our outline. And I want to start by just reading through these two verses together. So beginning in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. This is God's word. Now, last time we were in verses 11 through 13, and that passage contained what I'm calling our key text for the series. That that key text. It's kind of the theme of our series, and it was in verse 13. Just take a look back at it. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Notice there's no doubt in that verse. There's no wishing or hoping or speculating. It's written so that you may know with absolute certainty whether or not you have eternal life. And so we saw some interesting things about eternal life last time. We saw, first of all, that it's not just a quantity of time. It's not some power that we possess. It's not even an object. Eternal life is simply a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's the definition that Jesus gave it. He said in John 17, 3, he said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Therein is the definition of eternal life. And we found out it's not something that we get when we die. It's not something future. It's the present possession of every believer if you are in Christ, you have eternal life right now. You have the ability to relate to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Now, when we die, in fact, we had a memorial service here yesterday for Joe Kilgore. It was a moving service. When we die, believers, our relationship with the Lord will take on a whole new dimension. 
Because now we just see as in a poor reflection in a mirror. Then we will see him face to face. But we have this right now, this eternal life. And it's a relationship with God. He's our father and we are his child. And so this leads right in to the next verses then. Beginning in verse 14. So if eternal life is a relationship and God is our father... We ought to be able to go to our Father and put before him our petitions. So we're going to look first at our petition in the first half of verse 14. And it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Think just for a second about this incredible fact. That you and I can approach God. Think about that. We can approach the God of all creation. The most powerful being who ever was and ever will be. We can approach him. We can come into his very presence right now. I don't know about you, but have you ever approached somebody powerful? Somebody, maybe a human who's powerful... Back in my corporate days, my role gave me the privilege of going into the office of the CEO of this large company. And it always felt like I didn't want to just go in there. Um, I didn't want to take that lightly. That man had the ability to dramatically change my life for better or for worse. He was, he was the top man in the company. And... It was great to be able to approach him, but I always had this sense of, I'm in the president's office. Well, he wasn't the most powerful person I ever got to approach. I think the most powerful person I ever got to approach would have to be the president of the United States. Back in 1990, I had this, this opportunity to meet President George Bush Sr. He was in town. We lived in Albuquerque, and he was in town for an event, and I, along with a small group of people, got to meet him and then have our picture taken with him. And so this all happened in an empty hangar at the Albuquerque International Airport. And in the middle of the hangar, they set up this, like this inner, inner sanctuary almost. It had curtains all around it, blue curtains and blue carpet. And there's a podium and a couple flags. And so we went through all the security protocol because we were going to be meeting the president of the United States. And this was during Desert Shield and the, the start of the war in Iraq. They, we were waiting. Every person in the country, it seemed, was hanging on every news clip waiting for word that we'd go from Desert Shield to Desert Storm, that the war would begin. And so... It was this climate with which he came there. And so we're standing in this little room and we heard uh, by word of mouth that Air Force One had landed. And there's like this anticipation. And they told me that I was going to be the first one to approach the president and meet him. And so he would come through the far side of this little curtain room and I was a walk over into the middle of the room and greet him for a moment and then move over toward the podium and the White House photographer would take our picture together. 
And so as I'm waiting, it's this anticipation. And I hear this squealing of tires on the shiny, clean hangar floor. And through a little crack in the curtains, I see the motorcade come in. And it was first a bunch of policemen, and then I see two of the White House limousines coming in. They always have two of them, so you never know which one he's really in. One is a decoy. And I just thought, it's amazing to me to think that the President of the United States is going to come through that curtain and walk across the floor, and I'm going to walk over to the middle of the floor, and I'm going to meet him. It was almost surreal. Well, sure enough, a minute later, through the curtain comes President George Bush Sr. And so I walked over to meet him. He was a big guy. He was like 6'2". He felt like he was this big. And he had these great big hands. I remember when I shook his hand. And, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, good morning. It's cold down here. <laughs> and he sounded just like Dana Carvey, the impersonator. I was tempted. <laughs> Some of you might not remember Dana Carvey, but he did a great job. I was tempted to say, it is. It's due to the elevation. <laughs> Four syllables, big word. <laughs> Should have brought a coat. Leaving without it wouldn't be prudent. You know? I thought I'd just have this conversation, but I, I didn't do all that. I restrained myself. And so... We talked for a minute, and then we walk over to the podium, and I was with a coworker of mine, and I got this picture. I was 25 years old, I think, at the time. I got my picture with the President of the United States. That's not a cardboard stand-up. I know it looks like one, <laughs> but I promise you that's really him. And so it was, it was really quite an experience. Now, I didn't get my picture taken because of anything I was or anything I had done. I got to meet the president because somebody else paid a lot of money. <laughs> the owner of our company paid a lot of money, and I got to go meet the president. So money can buy you access. And it was really quite an experience, one that I'll never forget. And I tell this story just to underscore the fact that you and I, as believers, have the privilege of approaching someone far more powerful than the President of the United States. I mean, yes, he had there with him that day the nuclear, the football, the codes that could launch nuclear missiles that could destroy the world. I mean, there was a lot of power there. But it's nothing compared to Almighty God who we can approach. So I just don't ever want us to lose our sense of awe for the incredible privilege that we have of approaching God. That's what this text says. And not only can we approach God, but it says we can approach him with confidence. We're not to be hesitant. Oh, I don't know if I should go to him with this. Or indifferent, man, nah, I ain't going to mess with it. But confident. And the word confident is an interesting one because it means bold and freedom of speech. Bold freedom of speech. That's what confidence means. In other words, we can approach God boldly and speak freely with him. 
That's what that says. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12. It says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now think about the fact that in the Old Testament, there weren't many people that could approach God. And if someone could, it was only on certain conditions. And so one of those people who could approach God was the high priest. Now it wasn't that God was impersonal or snooty. It was that he was holy and mankind was sinful. And sin creates a barrier between us and God. But he laid out some conditions in which he would meet with one of the leaders of his people. You know, Habakkuk 1.13 says his eyes are too pure to look on evil. So if sinful man was going to come into his presence, there had to be a lot of things put in place. And so the high priest would have to bathe. He'd have to put on special clothes. He'd have to sacrifice a bull for the sins of his, himself and his family. And then he'd go into a curtained room. The inner chamber of the temple, the holy of holies, the place where God's presence dwelt there upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that curtain surrounding the Holy of Holies was, I think it was 60 foot tall, 30 feet wide, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide. And Jewish tradition holds that it was four inches thick. And tradition also holds that when the high priest would go in there, they'd tie a rope around one ankle so that if he went in there and for some reason was not worthy, they, and he died, they could pull him out without having to go in there themselves and die. It was a big deal to be able to approach God. Now, we're coming up on Good Friday in just a little over a week. On the, at the moment when Jesus died, it was that curtain in the temple, 60 foot tall, 30 feet wide, four inches thick, that was torn from the top down signifying that this was an act of God. And he was tearing that curtain which divided mankind, which kept us from approaching God. And so Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and 20 say, Therefore we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. See, Christ's sacrifice bought us the privilege of approaching God. Something we wouldn't have ever been able to do before. We have a great privilege. And our position before God has changed. See, we're no longer, we are still sinners but we're not under his wrath. We're not enemies of God. We're now children of God. We have free access to God. Our position in regard to God has changed. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ did for us. There is no access to the Father except through Christ. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. We're, it's not some little magic phrase we tag on the end of a prayer if we want it to be answered. It's, the, it's a recognition of 
the only reason we're even able to come before God is because of what Christ did. We're coming in his name and with his authority before God. He made that way for us through the curtain. So it's only for those who are in Christ who can go before God in this way. So I have to ask, are you in Christ? If you're not, you do not have this access to the Father. Your sin still separates you. So this is our position. And now it gets even better. Let's look next at our petition in verse 14b. We can do more than just. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? We can do more than just approach God Almighty. Look at what else verse 14 says. It says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Our position before God allows us to do more than just approach him. It allows us to ask him for things according to his will. And when we do, he hears us. Now, it's not that God's hearing is limited. It's not like when we were far away, he could, what did I say? He's way over there. You got to approach me and then I'll hear you. It's not that at all. God can hear every single prayer. He's omniscient. In fact, he knows our prayer. This is mind-boggling. He knows our prayer before we pray it. He's already heard it. He's outside of time. He's omniscient. So it's not that he can't hear us. There were two little boys who were staying at their grandparents' house. I love it because my grandsons are here this week. They were staying at their grandparents' house, and it was the week before Christmas. And so the two little boys kneeled down to pray, and one little boy starts praying out at the top of his lungs, I pray for a new bicycle. I pray for a new Nintendo. And his little older brother says, you don't have to shout. God's not deaf. And he says, well, I know he's not, but grandma is. <laughs> he wanted grandma to hear. Well, God's not deaf. We, I, I love that movie, God's not dead. He's not dead and he's not deaf either. He hears every prayer. But what it says here when it says he hears us, it means that he gives attention to us. He listens. That'd be a better translation. He listens and responds to our prayer when we ask it according to his will. There was a, a the latest survey I found was 2016 by Pew Research. And this poll found that 55% of Americans say they pray daily. And another 21% say they pray weekly or monthly. And so together, that's more than three-fourths of Americans who say they're praying. Now, I, on the surface, that's kind of cool. But here's the sad reality. For many who pray, God is not listening. Does that sound cruel? Does that sound harsh? For many who pray, God is not listening. It's not that he can't hear them. It's not that he's listening, it's that he's not listening and responding to their request. Now, I didn't make this up. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. In other words, God's not deaf. 
but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin blocks access to God and our prayers. It's in other verses, Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God surely has listened and heard my voice in prayer. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And even in the New Testament, the, the blind man who was healed by Jesus had this to say, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does as well. It's a principle that you see in scripture. Again, it's not that God's deaf. It's not that he can't hear the prayer of unbelievers. Nor is it that he can't answer their prayer under any circumstances. He can if he wants. But why would God listen to and respond to the prayer of an enemy who's under his wrath. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father physically or with prayers apart from me. It's the only way in. It's through Christ. So I believe that the primary prayer, there's a lot of unbelievers praying. God, not listening. <laughs> I don't know if he does that. But he's not listening. The prayer he wants to hear is a prayer of repentance. A prayer that deals with the sin issue that's blocking them. And then he can bring them near. They can approach him. He can listen and respond. It's not that God doesn't want to hear or doesn't want them near. Proverbs 3, or Peter, first, 2 Peter 3, 9 says he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what he's listening for. Now, what about believers? Does God listen and respond to all of our prayers? Look at verse 14. It says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Our prayers must be according to God's will. Then he'll listen in the sense of responding to our request. Of course, this begs the question, how do we know the will of God? How do we know? Can we know the will of God? 1 Corinthians 2.16 is interesting. It, it starts by quoting a verse from Isaiah, Old Testament, Isaiah 40. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then it answers with this, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now that's interesting. It says that believers have the ability to know many of the thoughts of God. And by knowing his thoughts, we can know his will. We don't know all things, but there's a lot about God that we can know and understand. And that happens primarily through his word. We hold in our hands the revealed will of God. And we have the spirit of God that helps us to understand what's written. And so when we study the word, the spirit can reveal God's will directly to us. Or the spirit can reveal his will through others that God has raised up to teach and instruct us. So we have the ability to know a lot about the will of God. The very best way to know the will of God is to get to know the word of God. 
The word of God is filled with his will. In fact, God's will will never be contrary to his word. So whenever we have a prayer request, we're getting ready to pray about something, I think it would be good to ask ourselves this question. What reason do I have to believe that God will answer this prayer? And we should be able to answer our own question with the word of God. Here's why. Because God has said. Think about that. It'd be a healthy exercise. If we really want our prayer to be in accordance with the will of God, we ought to be able to support it biblically. Whatever that is, we're in need. God, you said that you wouldn't allow your children to go hungry. You said that if we seek you first, you'll take care of these other things. So God, I have this great need and I'm placing it before you. Would you provide for me? God said, yeah, that's my will. Done. We ought to be able, it's a great exercise to hone our understanding of God's will. Prayer is not about conforming God's will to ours. It's about conforming our will to God's. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're out in a boat just offshore of land. You want to reach the shore. You got one of the motors out, but you got one of those grappling hooks. And so you throw that thing ashore and it hooks onto the land. If you pull on that rope, what's going to move? The shore or the boat? The boat is. See, when we reach out to God in prayer, we're not trying to move God. We're not trying to get him to agree with us. We're trying to bring our own thoughts in line with God's. We're trying to conform our will to his. Thy will be done, right? Not my will be done. Thy will be done. Robert Law said it this way, prayer is a mighty instrument, not forgetting man's will done in heaven, but forgetting God's will done on earth. And so we need to pray according to God's will. Now that doesn't mean just saying your will be done. It means thinking and really trying to understand what is God's will for this situation and then praying accordingly. So here's a question. If it's God's will that we have something, then why do we need to ask him for it? I mean, it's his will. If it's his will, have you ever thought this? If it's his will, it'll just happen. I don't need to pray about it. It's God's will. Who am I to stop it? Have you ever thought about that? Well, it's a good question to ask. But when we think about God's will, we need to expand our understanding of God's will a little bit to not just include the thing that we're praying for but to include the way that we come to him that we approach him in other words his prayer is not just about his will is not just about the ends but the means so does he want me to have this or does he not want me to have it does he want me to do this or not do that and so on but let's expand that a little bit for instance it's God's will that his children come to him and ask that's part of his will he maybe he wants you to have that thing but he also wants you to come to him and ask for it so that when we ask and when he provides we go 
God, thank you. That was you. Thank you, Father. He wants us to come and ask. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Look at what verse 14 says. If we ask anything according to his will. It doesn't say if we want anything according to his will. Does it? It says if we ask. He wants us to ask. That's the first thing. So the way in which we get this is also part of his will. So it's not just the end, but the means that God desires. It's also in God's word. It's his will that when we ask, he wants us to ask him with faith. That's part of the means. Listen to James chapter 1. I'll read verses 6 through 8. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. <laughs> That's kind of harsh, isn't it? If we come to him with doubt and without faith, God says, don't think you're going to get that. He wants us to ask and he wants us to ask with faith. This isn't the only verse that says that. There's plenty of others. I'll read you a couple more. Matthew 21, 22, Jesus says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. He said in Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. James 5, 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. See, it's not just what we ask for, it's how we ask. It's that we ask, and it's how we ask. We're to ask in faith. Now, these verses all say the same thing. Faith is a factor in whether or not God answers our prayers. But if you take a verse like Matthew 21, 22 out of context, out of the context of the whole scripture, it can become quite dangerous. If you just look at that one verse... If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Oh yeah, that's, that can become heretical really quick, can it? It can lead to the name it and claim it theology, which is false. Faith is a factor. He wants us to come to him in faith, but it's not the only factor. So we're going to look a little bit more at this as we get into this final section than God's provision in verse 15. So, verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have, what we asked of him. So, when we talk and think about prayers being answered, what we usually mean is, God did what I wanted him to. Isn't that kind of what we mean? God didn't answer that prayer. Or God didn't, hey, guess what? God answered our prayer. I was healed. What if we're not healed? Did God not answer that prayer? See, when we say our prayers are answered, we think that means God does what we want him to do. That's kind of how we look at it. I heard about this pastor who had a parrot, and a parrot would only say one thing. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. And he tried to teach him other words, but he wouldn't say anything, but let's pray. 
Well, then one week he learned that one of the deacons also had a, a parrot. And all that parrot would say is, let's kiss, let's kiss, let's kiss. And so the pastor thought, well, I'm going to invite the deacon and his parrot over. We're going to get together. And so they did. And they put the two birds into the same cage. And right away, the deacon's parrot starts saying, let's kiss, let's kiss. To which the pastor's parrot says, praise the Lord, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> we want God to do what we want him to do. And we call that an answered prayer, don't we? Well, when God doesn't do what we ask, does it really mean that he didn't answer our prayer? I would say no. I disagree with the premise of the song that called unanswered prayer. One of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayer. I think God answers every prayer of a believer. He listens and he responds to every single prayer. The fact is, some of his answers are no, no, or not yet. I want to do this for you. I want you to have this, but it's not the right time yet. Those are answers too, in as much as yes is an answer. Verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, this again is another verse that can be taken out of context. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Name it and claim it. I claim healing in the name of Jesus. I claim a new car in the name of Jesus. I claim $150,000 in the name of Jesus. Satan, take your hand off my money. I, I heard a guy say that. Satan, take your hand off my money. You just got to claim it with faith and it's yours. That's not what this says. It is true that if we believe and do not doubt, we'll have whatever we ask. But that's only part of it. To think that just because we say that and we claim it, we can have it, that's nonsense. Because although our prayers do have to be offered up in faith, they also have to be according to God's will. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big um, if there. It has to be according to God's will. That's the whole point of verse 14. That if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us and we have what we ask. So in verse 15 where it says, whatever we ask, you might just take a pencil and write in your body, Bible. I hope you don't mind. I write in my Bible. It's not, it's not like sacred where we can't write in it. It's for us to use. But you might just write in there, whatever we ask, parentheses or bracket, by faith according to his will. Whatever we ask by faith according to his will. Oop, I'm behind. And, and doing that will serve as a reminder. Whatever we ask by faith, according to God's will. Those are two of the primary principles of prayer. Now there are other ones, but these are two big ones. Do you want to know how to have every prayer answered every time, no matter what you ask for? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, I'm going to tell you how you can do it. You can pray like this. God, this is what I want. But if it's not what you want, please don't do it. Please don't do it. If it's not your will, then I don't want it. Because more than anything else, what I want is what you want, God. So here's my request. 
But if that's not your will, don't do it, God. I don't want it. That prayer will always, always be answered. Because this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Thy will be done. It's also how Jesus himself prayed. Jesus prayed this very thing that I just said. And it happened there in the garden. Think about it. He's facing arrest and crucifixion. And he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That's what he wanted. He wanted for the cup of God's wrath to be taken away from him. But he wanted something else even more. He wanted the will of the Father to be done. And so the second part of his prayer is yet, not as I will, but as you will. He told the Father what he wanted. And he said, but if that's not your will, God, I want what you want. So again, prayer is not about conforming God's will to ours. It's about conforming our will to God's. God desires to provide good things for his children. Psalm 84, 11 says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, positionally in Christ, we are blameless. We're not perfect, we're not sinless, but we're blameless. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So if God withholds something from us, then we have to understand that it's better that we don't have it. It's better that we don't have that. Nothing is better than God's will for us. Do you believe that? I don't know how that got there. Nothing is better than God's will for us. So let's make this really practical. If we pray for healing and God chooses not to heal us, then in the grand scheme of things, knowing all things that God knows, it's better that we're not healed. Do you believe that? Could you pray that? God, heal me. Heal my spouse. Heal my child. But if that's not what you want, then don't do it, God, because whatever you want is better than what I want. That's a hard prayer to pray. But that's how Jesus taught us to pray. And he will answer that prayer every single time. He'll answer it according to his will. No. Praying according to God's will is more than just saying, thy will be done. We do want to say that. But we should endeavor to understand what is God's will. What is his will in this situation? What would God want? And then pray according to that. When we do, we'll find that more times than not, God answers our prayer. In fact, if we're praying according to his will, he promises he will always answer that prayer. So it's not just, I don't care what he wants, I'm going to tell him what I want, and then say, but thy will be done. No, try to figure out what God wants. That's how we learn and draw close to the heart of God. We start to understand his character, his nature, what would he want in this situation? Now, we can never know that perfectly, but we can learn a lot about God's will and then pray accordingly. So, there's so much more that we could say about prayer, 
I, I've tried to keep it just pretty close to what's in this passage and not just do a whole big exposition on prayer A through Z. If you'd like to dig into that more, um, we did do a series several years ago called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And it was about seven or eight weeks on prayer, breaking down what is prayer and how do we pray according to God's will and the model that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer. And so you'll find that on the website um, under the messages tab. We only had audio back then, but there's audio and PowerPoint and it would be really important to do. We're going to be introducing a new prayer initiative within the church in just a few weeks. And when we're all together, we'll go through a devotion on prayer together so that together we can grow in the exercise of prayer and our understanding of God's will. So just wrapping up what's in our text here this morning, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And this is only because of what Jesus did for us. We have no access to the Father except by him. We are walking into the presence of Almighty God. And we're going to do that in a minute together. Unconfessed sin can keep a holy God from listening to us. This is not only true of unbelievers, it's true of believers too. God says, if you mistreat your wife, don't do that, lest it hinder your prayers. Unconfessed sin blocks our prayers to God. You always hear that prayer of repentance though. Prayer is not about conforming God's will to ours, but conforming our will to God's. How do we know his will? The best way to know the will of God is to get to know the word of God. His will is never in conflict with his word. Now, God's will includes not only the ends, but also the means. Not just what we're asking for, but how we ask. How we ask that we come to the Lord having confessed our sin and that we approach him confidently but submissively and that we pray with faith but according to his will. God's answer might be yes, it might be no, it might be not yet. All three of those are an answer to our prayer and we need to accept that. God's will is always, always best. So with that, let's pray. Let's approach the God of all creation together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege we have to come before you in prayer. And God, I pray that we would never lose sight of just how marvelous that is, God. If we could just think of how people in the Old Testament didn't have this ability. They could never get close to God like we can. And we can walk into your presence. In fact, you command us to pray without ceasing all day long, God, that our lives would be a conversation with you. That we'd be praising you for the good things you've done in our lives. That we'd be laying our needs and our requests before you, God. That we do it confidently, but according to your will. God, help us in this area. We struggle with prayer. And a lack of praying is just a lack of faith. A lack of faith that you care, that you listen, that you respond, that you're able to do what we ask, if it's according to your will. So God, help us in this area as a church as we take on a, a new initiative to just sharpen 
our understanding of prayer and our practice of it. God, would you help us? Would you help every person to be involved in that and to get deeply into your word and really understand what you say and then apply it? God, it's the fellowship that you want with us as much as anything. And so, God, we just ask for your help in this area of prayer, and we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.